Take the guesswork out of your cannabis shopping with ECS DNA Kit by Endo Canna Health. I did this years ago and it continues to empower me to get nerdy with my cannabis choices, which you know I like. If you've watched our Cannabis Legalization News podcast, did you know that right now you can save 25% off your DNA test at endodna.com? That's E-N-D-O-D-N-A.com and use promo code POD25. That is P-O-D, the number two, the number five. Your purchase includes the EndoDNA Collection Kit. Endo Decoded Report, Personalized Cannabinoid and Terpene Suggestion, Endo Aligned Product Matching in Your State, Suggested Dosage Guidelines, and Optimum Methods of Administration. Once you know your personal ECS data, you can shop Endo supplements tailored specifically for you. And right now, Endo DNA is celebrating their new patent with a BOGO offer on their Afeca Soft Gels lineup. Since so many of you struggle with sleep, I want to highlight Afeca Unwind created to support healthy sleep cycles using a patented proprietary formula of hemp-derived CBD, terpenes, and essential oils. If sleep is eluding you, sweet dreams are made of this. So buy one, get one, my friend. You can shop online at endodna.com. And don't forget promo code POD25 at checkout to save 25% on your DNA test kit. Right now, technically, we're live, so I'm going to hit this uh, real quick. Oh, look. Take it away, man. Welcome back to the Talking Hedge. I'm Josh Kincaid, and this is your Cannabis Business Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about vaping. Can it cause lung disease? Also, Illinois, what does it take to get an application? And top five cannabis scandals on the line with us to help us digest all that is an Illinois lawyer, Tom Howard, and host of Cannabis Legalization News. Thanks for being on Talking Hedge. Thanks for having me, Josh. I appreciate it. So top news that got dropped on Friday is vaping safe. We're looking at at least five deaths due to pulmonary lung disease. There was a pulmonologist in North Carolina who said that uh, some cons or some consistencies that they've seen is uh, vitamin E oil and the lipids that they're using is, is very similar to bronchitis. And so that kind of raises the question beyond just this black market issue is regular dabbing that has high fats and lipids also potentially bad legal lawsuits that could happen businesses that could go under a lot of ramifications. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there are, there are a lot of ramifications, but it does seem like it's not um, the types of uh, vapes that are legitimate. It seems like all the vaping problems have been black market vapes. I haven't, and Cresco just put out something today about their policy statement regarding it. And uh, if you watch some of the uh, YouTube videos, of course, on uh, the vaping merchants and the ones that are actually making the hardware, typically from China, they'll discuss how heavy metals can leach out into it and the types of materials that they use in the actual cartridges themselves. So there is a, a combination of different things that can be causing the problem. But I did see the vitamin E acetate uh, explanation. And I had absolutely no idea that if you inhale vitamin E, you're going to have what just presents to be this whole list of terrible, terrible diseases, or like, you know, lung problems that has actually killed a couple of people, one of which was in Illinois. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's not a lot of similarities. There was an FDA representative that said that with all of the cases in there's not a single one thing, even the vitamin E acetate. And so I'm not really sure what 
the cause is. Ultimately, don't buy a cart from somebody's trunk. Black market is probably not what you want to do. I think it's less malicious than it is ignorance. Uh, you know, herbicide Eagle 20 when heated turns into a carcinogen. I don't think the people who were, were growing that cannabis knew that. There, there's not a lot of malicious intent. Uh, people aren't going out and just trying to murder people. Um, but it is interesting nonetheless that uh, it could be uh, not, not to throw out rumor mills, but if there is sabotage, it's interesting to create barriers to entry. You know, I made an yeah. analogy where Facebook wants to create a barrier to entry. And if you create regulations, whether it's Altria or Jewel creating uh, barriers to entry, it, it, it's an interesting uh, case. I think there's going to be a lot more regulation as a result of this. I think there absolutely has to be some regulation, but even vaping, uh, especially the e-cigarette, I think was only invented in 2003. They're exceedingly new devices. And so it, there's, these types of things are going to happen, especially when there is no regulation. And then also there's a large black market demand as this new trend in cannabis, the vape cartridge, which really came about because you have the ability to produce it legally uh, and then you have the ability to create distillate and to, uh, that distillate wasn't exactly easy to make. You know, it took years. I remember when I first got my medical card in Illinois, the, the first few years, they were not very good. I'd go to Colorado and then I'd come back with a, uh, a different vape and I, I you know, talk to people that I knew in the industry that were making them. And then the, the quality of it did pick up after a few years. But now that people are out there and they're ex doing black market extractions, and so you don't necessarily know what type of uh, pesticides or, or who knows what uh, toxic substances in those leaves as they press them and then concentrate them and then put them into some type of agent that makes it smooth enough so that you can actually vape the stuff. Uh, if you look at like a vape cartridge with oil, and it's clarity level. Yeah, it should be really, really clear. But then what's its viscosity level? And that viscosity level is something that then they need to mix in something uh, to that actual extract that makes it a, a more loose uh, substance that can actually then go through that little, I'm not sure what it is, it's an electric transmitter. It's kind of like a hot plate, you know, at the end, where then it does heat it sufficiently to be vapor. Right. And that glycol or glycogen uh, gives me a scratchy, irritating throat uh, sensation. So I think a lot of the live resin that you're seeing 200% sales increases yeah. is a perception that it's more healthy. Although in, within that cart, like you mentioned, there could be leaching of heavy metals. There's a lot of issues with these carts not being accurate or just toxic in terms of, of heavy metals. Uh, and that's not even what that's not even the oil. That's just the cart itself. Uh, a lot of issues. I know people that are old school hippies that have heavy metal poisoning just from old school uh, gardening and not understanding how, how to uh, flush a plant properly. And so now with concentrates, if, if not done properly, if done on the black market without oversight regulations, proper standard operating procedures. Or the health and safety inspections that can come in and actually set policy so that that purity is respected. But even then, uh, the unlicensed production of cannabis will continue simply because it, I'm not sure if you saw the numbers out of Missouri, uh, the exclusivity that came from a finite number of licenses, very small, uh, pushes the price up. There was approximately 300, well, 192 dispensing and 60 cultivation licenses 
plus a few other testing and, and maybe some distributing uh, medical cannabis licenses in the state of Missouri, they got over 2,100 applications because if you win, you're a millionaire and they know that. And so why not roll the dice and try to win and create uh, the best score? And then the thing is, you know, okay, you didn't win. Well, I guess you could always sell it unregulated. <laughs> well, that's a good transition into how to get into Illinois. So there's a Yahoo Finance article that if you want to apply for an Illinois cannabis store license, you got to start with a list of what to do. So they break it down into like five different things on how you should begin being an Illinois business attorney. I figure you're the perfect person to kind of break these down for us. So the first one is to locate a city uh, property for the retail cannabis establishment. Obviously, location, location, location. Are you seeing somewhere like where I've seen in Phoenix where a license went for $20 million? Are you seeing specific areas that are commanding more than uh, than another? Uh, we can't see that yet simply because we're still in the induction phase and the, the application's not slated to be uh, released for another few weeks. And that may be delayed simply because of how uh, complex the whole process is. The thing that I am seeing, though, is that there will be uh, communities that will opt out of allowing them there. And so that will create um, effects of where the, the, the actual dispensaries are located, uh, at least with in terms of geography. So if a city uh, is prohibits it, they might be a dispensary on that edge of that town where it is permitted. Or you're looking at uh, first making sure that the local municipality has zoned you to be able to operate that cannabis business. And then from there, you just it's, it's like anything else in real estate. Yes, it is the location. So you look at the entire area of where it's allowable and say, based on all of these, these are good um, uh, places for us to look. And then you, of course, go and you approach the uh, realtor. But interestingly enough, in Illinois, for your dispensing license, you do not have to disclose an address. You just have to yeah. disclose a, an area in which you want to operate the dispensary. Then you have six months in which to disclose the address. And then, of course, another six months from that first six months to open your door. So you actually have one whole year from the time that you win the license. A lot more lenient than, than Washington. You had to have that first. Uh, we just like any other. Yeah, I mean, I didn't, we did have that for our medical uh, round, but then the legislatures uh, determined that it was in everybody's best interest to edit that out simply because a lot of landlords knew that they kind of had you by the cojones and they would uh, up, they would create like, oh, no problem. You can put our name on your application. That'll be a small $10,000 security deposit. And then, of course, the applications, while not to the almost 10 to 11 to 1 ratio that they had in uh, Missouri like went up to like four to six to one, depending on which area you were trying to get the license in Illinois for medical purposes five years ago. So, you know, they they wanted to try to bring down the cost to entry. And one of those ways to bring down the cost to entry is to take the landlord out of the equation. You still have to provide like schematics and blueprints, you know, under the impression that one piece of commercial real estate is identical to, the no to another, which is, isn't really true, but square footage is square footage. Mm -hmm. So the second thing to look for uh, is documentation, right? Just like anything you want to have your documents and organization structure to include anything and everything. Uh, but then it goes in to say that also you should consider a social equity program. I know you've covered that on some podcasts. Um, and so yep. what they're saying is that to document the social equity status, to reflect the ownership and management structure, keep all those documents. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, the social equity issue is going to be a sticky wicket to be uh, not even kidding. Uh, and the reason why has to be because uh, there's really only three ways that you can get it. And uh, they're mutually exclusive from what I can tell. We do not yet have the rules, but the, the reason why I say they're mutually exclusive is because they're written in the alternative. And so the first one is 51% ownership control. Ownership and control is defined in the law to be that you have to, of course, have 51% of the actual ownership of the corporation or the corporate entity, but also then exhort control like in your day-to-day -day operations of the business. And so finding somebody who would live in a, uh, what they call a disproportionately impacted area is impossible right now because there is no map for the disproportionately impacted areas. So there's that problem. And then the second one is a little easier because there is an answer to the question of whether or not you have status of being a social equity applicant. You have to have been arrested or worse for uh, possession of up to a pound of cannabis or uh, distribution with the, in I'm sorry, the intent to distribute of up to an ounce of cannabis. So if you have one of those infractions in the state of Illinois, of course, then you are a social equity applicant. The same 51% ownership and control restrictions also apply. Or if you have 10 current full-time employees, which were from number one or number two, then you're also a social equity applicant, which of course, if you're trying to get into the industry and you're putting together a business plan and you need the license before you can open your doors, it really is difficult to fall into that third wrong because you don't have current employees. The next thing is uh, Illinois apparently doesn't really preference a, an Illinois resident too much for its license because it's only worth five of the 250 points, but that's not necessary or like approximately 2%, but that's wrong because the social equity applicant aspect of it is 20% of your score and only Illinois residents can be social equity applicants. So in theory, 22% of your score is by uh, being from the state of Illinois. And you need to be there five years, which is an eternity in this. Uh, uh, for the disproportionately impacted area, yes. However, the uh, definition of resident for Illinois is an interesting one, and I'm not sure which one applies. It is not defined in the statute. Uh, there are tax definitions. There are voting definitions of resident. And also in the uh, definition, there is a resident definition under the personal use area of the statute for if you wanted to move to Illinois to grow your own plants, that's 30 days. So, um, you know, what does it mean to be a resident of Illinois? You should ask a business lawyer. I know one. Well, that's one of the problems. Um, I can give you the answer, but I still have to speculate simply because there isn't an answer, at least officially when it comes to rules. So Illinois, despite, you know, being three three weeks away from when we're supposed to get the application and a few months away from when we're supposed to have uh, legal cannabis, there are still a lot of things that we can't answer to our clients. And it's like, well, we're waiting for the state and I'm sure they're doing their best. It's mm -hmm. just a, it's a difficult thing. Meanwhile, you're supposed to operate, right? And so that's that's the funny part in Washington, five years on, you still can't just operate. You're, you're constantly working on eggshells, wondering what's gonna drop next. Uh, and making sure that you have enough financing to ensure operations is critical. So point number three on this Yahoo finance list of what to do if looking for an Illinois license is to create a pro forma that shows how the business will be capitalized and operated in a profitable manner. Again, making sure that you have enough capital to last. So correct. Uh, 
want to say that collecting information that demonstrates that all startup funds are liquid and are from legal sources, that pro forma should be realistic and tied to the overall business plan, ensure that the revenues and costs are realistic given current market prices. Which of course is very, very difficult because when then you ask somebody to come up with a pro forma and he's like, I got an MBA. I'm like, well, how much cannabis experience do you have, Mr. I have an MBA or I have a CFA or I'm a CPA or I, I, I bleed business plans and you know financial statements. Cool, I'm glad that you do that, but how well do you understand the cannabis industry so that when you put together that pro forma and then we look at your financial projections we can understand them and say like yes we have confidence in them because they came from this particular source and they do nothing but make these and they've been in the industry for this many years even five years again is an eternity but they have a lot of experience in understanding and appreciating uh how people consume buy cannabis and then how uh, based on the, the locality of the proposed uh, dispensary, because uh, the locality of the dispensary at the retail level is more important than where the craft grow is, for example. Craft grow is more like a commodity you want near uh, a rail spur or some type of uh, easy to, to, to transport place. But, you know, all those types of things come into it because, I mean, how, and I'm not going to tell them what their uh, enterprise value of their business is or, what, you know, how to capital, you know, say like our, we are, our business is worth X. I'm like, OK, cool. Uh, now let's let's work on your private offering so that you can go out and raise that X. And uh, they really need to have that business plan before uh, the corporate lawyers like myself can come in and, and draft them the types of documents that they need to be able to go out there and, and raise that capital in that type of liquid format that you say. It's critical to have people on your team who understand that, uh, you know, if you th have a million dollars and you think that you're going to be able to stay in business and grow weed because it just grows like a weed uh, no. on, on the board who understand that we've seen people not be able to produce a single gram with a million dollars. It's just you need to have enough and you need to have people on your board who understand what they're doing. That's right. The operations issues when it comes to cannabis uh, at all levels. I mean, it's not you have to have an, a very good understanding of how the genetics work so you can get a very strong mother. And then you also have to understand how all the, the cultivars are different because they all want different types of food or they all want to be, you know, fed or, or get aerated different or in the, the amount of carbon dioxide. And then they're after they're harvested, how long do you have to hang cure them? How long do you actually have to cure them? How, how much do you have to burp them? And then, you know, how did you trim them? All those things. There's just so much stuff that people gloss over. And the reason why it's a green rush or any other type of uh, these boom bust cycles that we have where there's an immense amount of greed into the factor, uh, people tend to kind of skip over all the steps that that are required to do the operations to make those types of cash flows. It's like I get license. I'm rich. I'm like, no, 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 you're, you're missing several integral steps, bro. But uh, that's that's why people, I think, are, are doing a lot of education on the subject and, you know, trying to stand. Well, how do you standardize practices in an industry that's three minutes old? You know, one thing you don't want to skip on is security. So the fourth point in this Yahoo Finance article about how to apply apply for an Illinois cannabis store license is to create a security plan that incorporates the findings of professional security consultants Right. Make sure that the security features are outlined on your site plan and include the requirements from the local municipality where the cannabis dispensary will be located. And the security plan should include controls that will be used to ensure the records are safe and unalterable. Yes. 
Yes, and those safe and unalterable, a lot of that is digitization. But uh, every, uh, and I, at least I know it's for the dispensing, I'm not sure, but I, it would not surprise me if the other types of cannabis license also need a contract with one of these types of security consultant providers. And it's exceedingly important because the amount of security that they have built into the cannabis plant, at least in the state of Illinois, is uh, very, very great, uh, as probably even greater than it is in Colorado, definitely greater than Washington State and in California because of the amount of surveillance that needs to be built into the systems. Moreover, they have, you know, what is a secure locked facility as they defined it? So, you know, when you, and I was just at the dispensary the other day, they have safes and lockers. I mean, the product, it's not like going to a dispensary in other legal states. The product is not behind glass. The product is in a safe. And so you can't even see the product. You can't smell the product. There are no smell jars. There's nothing like that. The only thing that you're able to do is uh, say, I want this, and then they will give it to you. But you're not allowed to open it. You're not allowed to do anything. All sales are final. Um, and that, that helps with the inventory control because then everything's already pre-packaged. And so it's easy to, to you know itemize and inventory you have SKUs even so like you know you don't really have to say well i bought this bulk flour and then we turned it into this many joints or no you don't none of that uh but you know you still need to have those safes that aren't cheap and then at the end of the day you need to wheel those safes back into your enclosed locked facility uh, that is additionally secure. Maybe you have it, you know, made in, uh, what do they call those, cinder blocks or something that's just really, really uh, hard to break into. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, so the fifth and final uh, to-do list on this Yahoo Finance article for how to apply for a cannabis store license is to read through the scoring methodology and work with your business partners to structure a business plan that exceeds the requirements of each category. The results should be realistic and reflect how your organization can execute and be an asset for the community. Oh, that's that's huge. There's a there's a lot of big points for your security, your business plan, plans, your capitalizations, your financials, the way that you train your employees and all that. But then there's a few softer business uh, softer points for your uh, community outreach and uh, also your diversity plan, your, your, your plan to engage the, the community to help achieve the ends of the law, which are to you know, re rectify the war, harms of the drug war. And those types of things is where you can get really, really creative and try to give back as much as you can to your community. It's one of the things that I've noticed a lot and the differences between the businesses in the cannabis space from out west and even in Colorado, like, you know, uh, with the atmosphere of fun and enjoyment that cannabis often imparts and, you know, freedom even. But over in Illinois, it's got like a lot more of wellness. The wellness trend is pretty good because that's, you know, a, a very po uh, positive connotation. But it also has a lot of inclusion, a lot of diversity and a lot of uh, doing the right thing and, and community empowerment. And so those types of things actually kind of get into the branding in Illinois cannabis uh, relative to when I see other brands in different states. I'm heading down to San Diego with Jim McAlpine's uh, podcast in San Diego to talk about an active cannabis lifestyle October 10th. So stay tuned. Sweet. Hitch for that. But this kind of pivots or, or transitions into the top five cannabis industry scandals uh, as the list of things that we just covered on the Yahoo Finance article of what to do your checklist uh, you should be noting how to avoid risk, how to avoid being in the top five 
cannabis industry scandals. So kind of just diving into each one, you can kind of take away what to do and what not to do. Number one on the list is CanTrust, the most recent one uh, that publicly traded on the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, basically, the executives, top level C-suite uh, people knew that they were growing in unlicensed, unregulated rooms, essentially growing more than they were allowed to. Um, some of them may end up getting fines. I, I doubt any of them will go to jail, but um, plenty of people have been fired and their stock price has taken a hit. Yeah, and that really stinks because the stock price taking a hit in a cannabis company is not like the stock price of, well, IBM's been on a tear for forever, just straight down. But uh, IBM is still, relatively speaking, a liquid stock. You can get into GE, too. GE just sucks. Like, you know, you can get into and out of those companies, though, because they're, they're quote unquote, blue chips. But it can be very difficult sometimes to exit a position uh, when you are in a cannabis stock, even a, a stock as large or as liquid as GTI or, or Cresco could probably be very difficult to exit. So I haven't even heard of this person, person's company. I'm not sure if they have uh, penny stocks on them, but trying to get out of that position might have really hurt. By the way, GE was just uh, had a seven month report from the same forensic accountant that um, was the first person to come out and say that Bernie Madoff was a Ponzi scheme. Oh, good. Uh, team individual did a seven seven month study and said GE is uh, illiquid and fraud. They, they're committing accounting fraud. So right now that is just a rumor, but that's, this guy's smart. I believe yep. 100%. Um, I don't necessarily short equities, but that one would, would be one on my list. Yeah, you could have pair traded that with uh, a long of Amazon 10 years ago. And right now we wouldn't be talking and, and these surroundings, uh, it would be a lot more palm trees that we'd be doing this uh, this podcast on. But yeah, um, you you can't really go wrong getting out of GE. Yeah. So number two on the list of uh, top five cannabis scandals is Namaste Technologies. Um, I'm not really sure what the deal is. I'm not really familiar with it, but the problems apparently begin with promotional event features featuring fake nurses in sexy costumes. Uh, so that didn't go over well with the, quote, bro culture. But essentially, there was a short seller attack uh, for some allegations that caused some some board shuffling, some accusations that it was planning to list. Um, and then fake claims on the NASDAQ listing. So essentially, the, the guy that was running around um, during the Blue Herring 20-day run was selling stock and he shouldn't have been um, – so the simple takeaway is that the higher share price was on the back of you know a false uh, report that he was running around. Um, kind of reminds me of some other other companies right now trying to go public in the market. They just have, but that gets back to we just talked about how tenuous and difficult it can be to get a pro forma together for your cannabis startup, and yes, that that can continue even up through the chain. Uh, and, and when do you really believe numbers and how sophisticated are your average investors when it comes to reading the financial statements of these companies to, or even understanding how accounting practices are? I mean, is GE right now just a, a cluster of adjusting entries that really make no sense? And they're, they aren't just doing like, you know, accrual accounting. They're doing the stuff that Enron did, but like, you know, on steroids or something. 
Yeah. So Cureleaf got kind of busted because they didn't have an arm's length deal. They were selling eight, $900 million deals to previous partners. And that same thing happened with Namaste Technologies. They had um, a couple hundred million dollar deal with uh, somebody who was, uh, I don't know if he was a board member, but wasn't an arm's length party. Uh, so, yeah. Anyways, moving on to a Doylen Elements. It's another private company. And this is the same thing where he was running around uh, trying to sell um, more stock and just pumping up with with false reports. You can't give guarantees in this in the industry. Uh, and that's what he was trying to do is basically just violating registration provisions by engaging in unregistered offerings of securities. So misleading wow. representations and yeah. So just just basically like SEC fraud and stuff. Yeah. I mean, where you're you're just you're violating all these types of things that they say don't do. And then this is this again. The, the, if this is an American cannabis company, or was this a periphery? Namaste Technology. So they aren't touching the plant. And in theory, can the uh, now I was rejected by a bank recently because they called me a uh, let's see marijuana related business, but as an acronym because it's a bank. MRB Tier Two. And so a tier two isn't actually touching the plant, but they're the next label of vendor. Like, you know, we're selling services directly to the people that are uh, touching the plant. And, and that got me deked. But I'm not sure if, uh, you know, tier two MRBs can actually list on the stock exchange. So is, was Namaste Technologies allowed to literally get listed on NASDAQ or did this whole thing blow up before that? Namaste was private. Um, and so I don't believe that they had they were planning on listing on NASDAQ. And so that's why he was uh, trying to sell the uh, arm's length deal is to make it look like there was a higher valuation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, they'll do that. I mean, that's that's part of the game because uh, higher valuation usually means more money. And uh, then if they're trying to get to market, why do a lot of entrepreneurs try to get to market? Because then suddenly, in the time that it takes to ring a bell and wait a few hours, you are rich, richer than astronauts. And the only thing you had to do was lie through your teeth and then shop a whole bunch of uh, money, which, you know, those investors may have believed. But that is some of them like Sarbanes-Oxley from 2002, where, you know, what what did you knowingly say? And that's one of the reasons why, well, you know, we had a consensus, but we didn't really know anything uh, is, is a terrible defense. However, it's can't either. Yeah, yeah, I know. Um, that's just the way the capital moves. And that's one of the reasons why you have these types of oversights. But you're not supposed to cook your books. You're not supposed to make your numbers say what you want them to say. You're supposed to make your numbers say what you believe you have a reasonable factual basis for them to say. Uh, and that's that's mostly there's most fluff and BS before you're actually able to be public because the amount of reporting requirements that you have to go through after then is substantially more. However, you know, um, like seriously, Beyond Meat is not worth what it is. You know that it 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 ran up a lot. It's a great, wonderful story. I've been short the heck out of it. I'm not sure if it has enough float to do that, but uh, it's it's not worth the 500 percent run. So it might taste good, but I don't know how healthy it is. I've seen hemp versions, and when we tested it, it was really high in sugar. And mm -hmm. so if you, if you have this product, like, yeah, it could taste like meat, but if it's not healthy, uh, then even if it's plant-based and number one ingredient is sugar, it's not going to get the traction it, it deserves. So, yeah, I would short it too. I don't think it's going to last. 
Um, Tradev is number five on this list of, of cannabis industry scandals. Tradev was a, an e-commerce site out of Colorado. Um, they were one a competitor to a company that we were starting up in 2017 called Xylem Marketplace, an e-commerce site um, started by a software development engineer from Microsoft who developed a Halo video game. And then I met him when he was at Amazon. And we went out and we got 75 LOIs in two days. People were really excited. We went up to uh, Alaska and Spokane and, and Portland and Colorado, got all of these, these people interested. Um, never got off the ground. That the, that team got distracted by a shiny squirrel that ran somewhere. Good. But Tradev ended up being successful. Problem is, is they started diverting product uh, and selling it to the black market. So they were scaling up. They were getting really big. I didn't understand how or why. And then it came out where their California team uh, was selling to the black market. And they just had to shut everything down. Hmm. That's strange, man. I haven't heard of that, but um, yeah, there's there's going to be a lot of tomfoolery in this industry, there, even with the amount of regulation. And so the amount of the regulation seems like it's really, really high to get in, in some locations. Illinois is one of them, Missouri is another one, where the barrier to entry is really high. But then you just have to buy the license after somebody won it, um, if you can buy it. And, you know, they aren't going to look at your I don't know what they're going to look at, actually, when you try to buy the license, whether or not Illinois will look at whoever's going to buy it is adequately capitalized or if they just um, are going to be able to pass the background checks. There's there's going to be a lot of cannabis M&A and there's going to be a lot of these companies that will continue to because the profit margin and motive is so strong. Lie. We saw up in Canada too, a publicly traded company. I went up to try and help automate to the pre-roll solutions publicly traded company, um, Agrima Botanical, also known as Decent Industries. They were the only company to lose their license. They were publicly traded in Canada, but Health Canada came in, found that they were manufactured product they weren't allowed to. They did it anyways. Health Canada came back six to nine months later, and the result was that they, they lost their entire business. So some property plant and equipment was sold off, uh, and everything fell apart. Because of why? Because of greed or because you just wanted to, there was a big bag of cannabis that just had somebody's name on it, like Joe Schmo at some unlicensed dispensary. Uh, and then rumors that some biker gang was involved too up in Vancouver, BC. So I don't know anything about that, uh, but I do know that uh, that was a huge scandal. It should have been on that list. Uh, a lot of people lost money, including friends and family round feel really bad for some of the executives who were in charge because you know, they bought brand new houses, had babies, thought they were moving in one direction, and then a 180 kind of hit them in the face. But, you know, that's the lack of oversight. Those five things that we listed where you need to have SOPs and security and, and all of these things with management that's going to hold you accountable, they didn't do it. Yeah, that's – and they make these types of things conditional in um, very competitive, restrictive licensing states like they're going to be out east and in the Midwest. Uh, if you aren't doing those correctly, they can yank your license. And then suddenly if you did you know, anticipate you'd have millions of dollars of cash flows going forward because you own a dispensary and they just don't have very many of them and everything's going to be easy and you buy all these things and then you're asleep at the wheel, boom, it's gone. Mm-hmm. So with that, we're going to roll this one up. I'm Josh Kincaid. This is a Talking Hedge. I want to thank Tom uh, with Cannabis Legalization News. Appreciate your insight and everything. It's back. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, or don't. And I'm out.